You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. When people talk about Jonah, it's always about his three-night stay in a spacious fish God prepared. Jonah likely never cared much for seafood after that, but Jonah's experience is much more than a monster fish. He did everything big and dramatic. He triggered a humongous revival, he oversized his own self-pity, and it all started with an over-the-top rebellion against God's compassion. This is the comeback story of Jonah. Nine pounds, four ounces. That was not my birth weight. I was actually nine pounds, six ounces. I was a big, beautiful baby. Use your imagination. Um, But 26, 27 years ago, we're living in uh, Winnipeg, or if you've lived there, you may have called it Winterpeg or Winter Plague. If you've never been in Winnipeg in January, February, you wouldn't understand that, but if you have, you would know know that. Uh, Serving at a great church downtown in Winnipeg, and the man who took care of our facilities was an avid outdoorsman, uh, hunter, fisherman, and so one day, myself and one other pastor went out with Bob to fish. Now, it was early November in Manitoba. Um, at 5.30 in the morning, as we pushed the boat onto the Red River in Selkirk, north of Winnipeg, uh, the river was flowing, but snow was coming down. I was wearing more layers of clothes than I thought was physically possible. Um, and we had a great day. We were fishing. And so we caught between the three of us quite a few fish, but the highlight of the day was me. I caught a nine-pound, four-ounce walleye. Aren't you impressed? And the guy who took us out said, you know, this size of a fish on the Red River qualifies to be a, 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 for a master angler pin, which I never got, but I, a master angler, you know? Used to be just a preacher, now a master angler. And this guy, Bob, not only was uh, he was the fisherman, but he also did taxidermy. He said, would you like me to stuff it and mount it? I'm going, absolutely. I know Pam, my wife, would love to have that mounted in her living room someplace. So he went back to work, and um, it never showed up. Like, weeks went by, it takes time. Weeks went by, no fish. Months go by, no fish. And now it's just, it's too awkward. I don't say anything because like, how do you bring it up after three months? But, so I have this wonderful story and I have absolutely no proof. And you're thinking, oh, it's another fish story but the one that got away. No, it's about a story about the fish that never came back to me. But this morning, we're talking about a fish who came just in time. It's Jonah. Uh, when, when, uh, this, when, when Pastor Jonathan emailed me and then he and Pastor John, uh, Jonathan and Keith were both emailing me about this, this series, Come Back, uh, number one, first of all, very excited to come back to this place. Love this place. And I love this faith family. I love Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Keith, their hearts, their character, how they lead. I love the vision and the passion this place has to impact the city. So I was delighted to come back. Absolutely delighted to come back. Um, Pam's not here, so I'm sorry. People say, is Pam here? Sorry, it's just me. She's not here. Uh, She's back in Edmonton. She had to fly back last Sunday. But today we are celebrating our 35th wedding anniversary. Yeah. She's there. I'm here because I'm a romantic. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, eh? Eh? Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. Uh, We have such great memories of being around this place and being part of the mission of this church. So, 
Would you come back? Keith, Pastor Keith's joke. Would you come back for the comeback series? Would you preach on Jonah? So I did what every responsible preacher does. I began to read through Jonah over and over and over again. It's a familiar story. I know it well. I learned it and I've seen the veggie tales. But I, I read it over and over and over and over. I began to read some commentaries, some other books. Good thing for a preacher to do. I also began to pray, saying, Spirit of God, take a familiar story and make it fresh. Speak to me and then give me a word through me to speak to the church. We can all, we all, when we pray, when we read the Bible, say, Spirit of God, you inspired it. Would you make it come alive to me? So I did all that. And, and while I'm reading and studying uh, and praying and waiting for God to speak to me, I had a vision, well, maybe a vision's too strong, a sign. I'm in a store in Edmonton. I'm paying for something. I can't remember what store, what I was paying for. But as I'm paying for, oh, the screen's not even working. This is not going to work, is it? Te technical people? I'll go with it anyways. Oh, there it is. The guy's t-shirt behind the counter. SpongeBob in the, in the, isn't that powerful? Should we just close in prayer now? Is that, is that enough? Okay, not enough. We'll keep going. Uh, do me a favor and turn to your neighbor. Uh, some of them have been doing it online, but turn to your neighbor and say, what's the, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear Joan and the whale? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear Joan and the whale? So tell your neighbor, talk to somebody next to you. First thing that comes to your mind. Some people posted about the stench in the stomach. Some people said disobedience. I don't think anybody said sushi. <laughs> but if you have a Bible, turn with me or a device and swipe with me to Jonah, this little book of the Old Testament. Four chapters in the Old Testament. And as we walk through this story together, we're going to choose five scenes for these four chapters. I know what you're thinking. Leave it to a preacher to take four chapters and put it into five scenes. Here we go again. Well, you just pray about the time, and we'll get through this okay. First scene is, uh, is Tarshish. So the story of Jonah begins with, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up before me. So we're introduced to the main characters. We're introduced to, to Jonah as an Old Testament prophet. We're introduced to the city of Nineveh. Let me just pause and say this. So when it comes to the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the great fish, there's different camps. There are some people say it's not a real story. In fact, these people often come to parts of Scripture and say, well, that didn't really happen. Like when they come to parts of the Bible that, are, that, that seem to be bigger than life, impossible, and demand a miracle, they go, well, obviously it didn't happen. It's just a story. Now, Jesus used stories to teach in the New Testament. We know that. But you know what? I want to remind us that the God that we serve is bigger than life. And the God that we serve regularly takes impossible things and makes them possible. And miracles are his MO. So I'm cool with saying God could do all of this and more. So we come to, and by the way, if, if you're just telling a story, why tell us who his father was? It just, that's an extra detail we don't need. But Jonah, the son of Amity. Jonah is a Jewish man. And Nineveh was this great city. It was, a, it was a nation city. People knew it. It existed. It was historical. The records tell us about them. We're also told that they were known to be a very 
fierce and cruel people in battle. And they are a neighboring nation to Israel. So we come to the beginning and it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And when you read that phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it tells us who Jonah was. It tells us what his profession was. It tells us how God chose to use this man, Jonah. And if you want to know, we learn that Jonah was a prophet. He was someone who received the word of God and told it to others. And if you want to know exactly what a prophet was, this is what a prophet was. Prophets were whistleblowers. Oh, we hear the name Snowden, and we know that this is a guy who blew the whistle on the U.S. government. We hear about people in either business or an industry where they find something going on that's not good, it's not right, it's not just, and they say they're going to blow the whistle because people need to know, and this needs to stop. In a sense, the prophets were whistleblowers. Now, Jonah's one of 12 minor prophets. We've got the, the big boys, the majors, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Make sure you understand that we don't, minor doesn't mean they were less important. They were just smaller in size. But they all were people who blew the whistle because, see, back in Genesis chapter 13, God spoke to a guy named Abram. He would rename him Abraham, who became the father of a great nation. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. You're not going to be my BFFs exclusively. But I'm going to bless you that through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's where it all started. God had a people of covenant. The Israelites, the Jewish people. And God says, here's what I will be as your God. Here's my promise to you. And then here's my law. Here's my covenant. Here's how I want you to live in response to me. And every time that the people of Israel kind of drifted away from the covenant, a prophet would be raised up and he would blow the whistle. He'd say, he'd call a foul. Now, I'm now standing in the city of the 2019 NBA champions. And I, like many Canadians who don't watch basketball on a lot of time, got sucked under the bandwagon and then watched a lot of basketball and there were some nights you didn't know whether the, the Raptors were playing the other team or whether they're playing the whistleblowers. Can I get an amen? But that's what the prophets did. They, they would blow the whistle, they'd call a foul in order to bring people back into alignment with God, what God had for them. So that's what Jonah does. He's a whistleblower of the covenant. But here's our first twist in the story. Normally, prophets go to the people of Israel and say, hey, blow the whistle, you've stepped out of line. God comes to Jonah, this Jewish prophet, and says, I want you to go to your neighboring nation, the city-state of Nineveh, because their wickedness, their sinfulness has come to me, and I want you to tell them that they need to repent or else. They need to repent or my punishment's gonna come upon them. That's a bit of a twist. Usually they blow the whistle on their own people. And now Jonah's being sent to go to a neighboring nation and to blow the whistle on their sin, on their wickedness. Twist number two. God says, go, and Jonah says, okay, now, sad, you, that was the strongest response of all three, but they're still kind of weak. God said, go, Jonah said, oh, just like practice, okay. Um, God says go, and Jonah says no. 
We're told that he paid the fare and went down into a ship to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. God speaks to Jonah and says, I've got something for you to do, Jonah. And Jonah says, absolutely not, over my dead body. And he buys a, a, a fare on a ship, not just to go in the opposite direction, but to go to the end of the line, to the very farthest reach, the western reach of the Mediterranean. It's like God says, Mark, I want you to go to Montreal and preach there. And I go, no, and I buy a ticket and I fly to Victoria. That's what Jonah did. And the text says he did this to get away from the presence of the Lord. I find that phrase fascinating because I, I find and identify that all of us in our human nature, there's moments in our life where we try to escape God. We try to get away from the presence of God. We try to deny him, to avoid him, to ignore him. I'm sure Jonah would have been familiar with the Psalms that were part of the, the, the iTunes of the Jewish people at the time. But, but in Psalm 139, the psalmist says, he begins to speculate, where can I go to get away from the presence of the Lord? And the answer is, there's no place you can go to escape the presence of God. You can run, but you can't hide. There's no, but here's what Jonah's trying to do. He's trying to get, it's flagrant, willful disobedience to the commandment of God God says go, Jonah says no, and he goes not just the opposite direction, but he goes and heads towards the very end of the line. And that's the end of the story, right? No, of course not. There's, there's more. Otherwise, I'd be closing in prayer. We'd be going way too early, and you came for the whole thing, so I wouldn't let you down early. So we come to scene two. We go from Tarshish to the tempest. So Jonah is in this ship, and they're sailing across the Mediterranean to the far western end of it. They may be stopping in some ports along the way, but they've got a long ways, and they're, they're out great at sea, and the Lord hurls up. He sends a great wind upon the sea, and there's a mighty tempest that begins to threaten the very existence of the ship and all those who are on it. And the text says that the, the, the mariners... The seasoned professional sailors, they spend more time on a ship than on a dry land. These are the guys, this, this is what they do for a living. It says they begin to fear for their own lives. They think the ship's going to be broken apart. They begin to actually throw cargo overboard. And if you think about it, that's how they get paid. That's how serious this is. They get paid by taking cargo from place to place. If you throw it overseas, they're not going to pay you. But that's how serious the storm is. It's so serious that the, that the mariners begin to go, OMG. Except it's not the big G God, it's little G gods. It says that the mariners begin to call upon any God they can remember and they heard of as a child. A God that's part of their cultural group. They begin to call upon all their gods because they're praying for safety. They think they're all going to die at sea. I grew up with an ocean, ocean liner tuna commercial where the captain said, have you ever been to sea, Billy? <laughs> They're in the midst of it. And it's not looking good. Reminded me of a story years ago. Years ago, Pam and I lived in Mississauga and we were part of a great church that's now called Portico. And one night after all the young adults, what, I forget what we had done, we're just, we're hanging out and just 
sharing life and telling stories. And this one young lady, and my wife's not here, but my wife would say this for me, so I'm not speaking out of turns. One young lady in a group, she was drop-dead gorgeous. She had done some modeling. She was a gorgeous-looking young lady who always looked very put together. She looked like she walked off the runway or a magazine cover. That, that, that's what she was like. And so she was part of a group, and she started telling a story how the weekend before, she and some friends went down and paid some guy to take them out sailing on Lake Ontario. And they're having a wonderful time on Lake Ontario, except after a while, the Lake Ontario begins to get choppy, as it does from time to time. And next thing you know, the boat starts going down and then up and then down and then up and then down and then up. And then no matter how much makeup she's wearing, she starts going green. And she says, uh, and so she tells us how next thing she knows, she's hanging off the side of the boat, tossing up her cookies and whatever else she had, uh, just totally seasick from all the motion of the waves. And, and the guy who owned the boat He's trying to help, but all he had were some dirty, oily rags to hand her. And so here's our model in training with this dirty rag wiping whatever's left of her cookies off her face. And, and she was telling us this wonderful story and kind of laughing about it. And as she was, though, I realized there was something else going. There was a subtext going on with some of the people who were listening to her. Because some of the young ladies, they liked her, but they were intimidated by her. Sometimes they always felt like they were comparing themselves to her. And I began to sense that maybe some of them were taking a little bit too much joy in her discomfort. Well, it kind of serves her right, you know. It's kind of like in that Raptors game when Kevin Durant re-injured himself. And your deep, dark reaction inside. Even the Raptors were playing, like, don't, don't cheer a guy going down. But, but you, you get it, right? Sometimes we look at other people, and it's us and them. And we favor us over them. So, so back, back to the tempest. They're freaking out. They've thrown cargo overboard. Now they're crying out to their gods, oh, my gods, oh, my gods. Struck with fear, the captain, he's going through the ship and he finds, see, we learn here, it's not on your card today, but Jonah was an early adopter of WWJD. Remember that whole phase? We had the bracelets and the stickers, what would Jesus do? Because the, the captain finds Jonah asleep in the belly of the ship, just like Jesus. You're not tracking with me? Remember Jesus, he was in the storm, he was sleeping? But see, here's the problem. By the way, we've been watching online from Edmonton. Uh, I told Pastor Keith I haven't found the, the donate button yet, but I, I've been watching online with my wife. Um, we loved your series on emotions. It was a really good teaching. Sleep is a good thing. Sleep is a, it gives us rest and relaxation. I have the gift of sleep. I really do. The world can be falling apart, but I can lay down and sleep. It's a beautiful thing. I would trade it for nothing else. But sometimes sleep is not a healthy thing. Sometimes sleep is a sign of depression. It's avoidance. It's denial. We're trying to run. We're trying to ignore. So I don't think, yeah, so Jonah was sleeping in the boat just like Jesus was, but not the same reason. We've all been told that Jonah's trying to run away, escape the presence of God. He's asleep in denial and avoidance in the belly. And the, and the, the captain says, would you wake up with us where we could die here? Would you not call upon your God as we call upon our gods and see if some God could help us? 
And then the, the, the sailors, they throw some dice. They want to throw dice to go, say, why? This is not just a normal storm. This is way beyond a normal storm. We want to know why. Who's responsible? And they begin to throw, cast dice, cast lots, and Jonah's number comes up. This is not the lottery you want to win, by the way. His number comes up, and they say, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do, and what have you done? And Jonah's busted. He says, I serve the God of Israel, and I'm running from him. And the only answer to the storm is to throw me overboard. He, he owns his stuff. He confesses and says, you got to throw me overboard. That's the only way to do it. And, and, and these, these guys, they, they do their best. They, they keep on rowing against the wind and against the waves. And they're having no success. So finally they pick him up and they hurl him into the sea. And we're told that then they, when they hurled Jonah into the sea, that the sea ceased its raging. It just became calm. And the Bible says that these seasoned sailors, when they see the result of throwing Jonah overboard in the calm sea, that they became fearful. Not running away in fear, but fearful awe. A fearful a fear of awe of what God does such a thing. They were fearful. And in fact, they begin to offer sacrifices and vows to Jonah's God. And so before we get to the end of the story, there's already a comeback. Some mariners who thought their lives were over have come back and are worshiping the God of Israel. Which brings us to scene number three, tossed. So Jonah gets tossed out of the boat into the raging sea. And verse 17 of chapter one says, and the Lord appointed an Uber to swallow up Jonah. The Lord appointed a great fish, a whale, to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He's tossed overboard. He finds himself in the belly of the whale. And here Jonah begins to, he's already owned his stuff on deck. This storm is because of my disobedience to God. He knows it's because of his disobedience. He knows the solution, throw me over. And once he's in the belly of the fish, he begins to pray. Matt referred to part of that prayer. And I, I wish we had time to go through the entire prayer, uh, which makes up the bulk of chapter two of Jonah. We don't have time, but, but let's, let's show how, how it starts and how it ends. Here's the opening part of Jonah's prayer. He said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. I called to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Inside of you, you should be shouting, amen, hallelujah, this is good news. A God who hears our prayer, who hears our cry, and a God not only hears, but he answers. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah calls out, and God hears his voice, and he answers us. And this is a truth for all of us. When we call out to God, he hears and he answers our prayer. Pastor Keith used to say years ago, he'll say yes, no, or you gotta be kidding because sometimes we pray some really weird prayers. But God hears and he answers our prayer. 
Uh, near the end of the prayer, there's this one line that's not on the screen, but it says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. On that ship, the other mariners were praying to their small G gods that they had grown up with. The one prophet said it this way. He said, you know, you, you have a piece of wood, you cut it in half, and with half that wood, you use it to cook your beans and your supper. The other half you fashion into an image and then you pray to it. Does that make sense to you? Those who, those who pray, who regard to vain idols, forsake the hope of God's steadfast love. And then this is how the prayer ends. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. First line, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Oh, we need to learn to cultivate that attitude of gratitude in all of our lives, to learn to come with sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. It's such a biblical principle. It's a wise principle because every time we fill our lives with gratitude, with thanksgiving, we're reminding ourselves of who God is and what he's done and that he has not changed and that we can trust him some more for today. Thanksgiving is fuel for faith. When I thank God for all that he's done, it builds my faith to trust him for more. Don't let the answers be, oh, what a coincidence. It's a goadoince, God-incidence. I, I, I hadn't planned that in, in advance, as you can tell. God heard and answered, and give thanks for what God has done, for who he is. And that last line, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your salvation, my salvation, belongs to the Lord. In the story, we've got the sailors, the citizens of Nineveh who are known for their wickedness. So we've got the sailors, the sinners, and we've got a prophet, the saint, and every one of them need to realize that salvation belongs not to them as a group, but to the Lord. So he prays to God. He owns his stuff. He puts his trust in God, in God's salvation. And he no more than says amen when the whale now tosses up his cookies, which includes Jonah, and he's back on dry land. Not a very ceremonious way to enter the pulpit, but that's how it works for Jonah. He's back on dry land. He, he was vomited up by the great fish. So that's the end of the story, right? No, there's more. Scene four. Scene four, chapter three, take two, the comeback. Chapter two says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, oh, don't you love that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I'm so grateful in my life when I've messed up and missed the mark, how God hasn't written me off, but his voice comes to me a second time. And by the way, God doesn't begin with 10 minutes by saying, Jonah, what an idiot you were. What were you thinking to try to go to Tarshish? Like, don't you know better? Jonah's already worked that out in the belly of the fish. He's owned his stuff. He's repented for his disobedience, his willfulness. God doesn't remind him of his mistake. He just reminds Jonah of his mission. 
When you and I come back to God, he's not going to remind us of our mistakes. He's going to remind us of our mission. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Jonah, I'm not done with you yet. That's, that's, I'm going to yell, but I'm kind of a little excited. This is good news. You all yelled for the raptors, so I can yell for my God. Comes the second time. And the same message, go to Nineveh, do this on my behalf. And this time, this time, it's a different result. This time Jonah puts his head down and he heads to Nineveh and he's faithful to God. He's faithful, he's obedient, no longer disobedient. He's now obedient to God and he goes to Nineveh, this great city, and we're told it takes him three days. He crisscrosses that great city and wherever he goes, he tells people about a holy God who's heard about their wickedness and God wants you to repent or else if you don't repent, you'll have the punishment for your sins. For three days, Jonah walks across the city and he tells them this message and here comes, here comes the next twist of the story. It's kind of good news, but it becomes bad news for Jonah. But the people listened and believed and turned to God. The people listened to Jonah. They repented of their sin. They owned their stuff. They repented. They began to fast. They gave up food to pray, to seek after God. Fasting is giving up something good for something better. They began to do all of that. Everybody, the king hears about it. The king says, okay, we are all doing this. We are all calling upon the God of Israel. We're all repenting. We're all gonna turn from our wicked ways. We're gonna fast. No one eats, not even your pets or your livestock. No one eats. We are feet. We're serious about seeking after God. It says, when God saw that they did, how they turned from their, they, weren't, they didn't just get religious. They turned from their evil ways it says, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now that's a comeback. That's a comeback of amazing grace. When God saw what they did, how they responded, that they had believed, that they had turned, they had repented, he did not do what he had said he would do upon them. Now listen, if you're a preacher for a living and you've gone for three days and you've preached your heart out and people have heard you and they've believed you and they did what you asked them to do, wouldn't you be pumped? You'd be reporting on your website saying, hey, supporters, God, we've had a breakthrough in Nineveh. Keep your support coming. Testimonies galore. That's what you think a preacher would do. But we come to the last scene, which is a tantrum. You've all seen this scene before. Usually in the checkout lines at Walmart, where they insidiously put all those cattle things lined with chocolate and candy. And you've seen a tantrum happen at Walmart. Some child sees something they want, and they want it, and the parent says, no. And then, oh, you know what breaks loose. You've seen those things. Have you not seen those kids wanting and they should? And that's where I wish I had a whistle. Man, uh, if I was at Walmart, I would blow my whistle. It would surprise everybody. It might just shock the kid to stop. I call foul. Like that's ugly behavior. Like stop doing that. Sometimes I want to blow the whistle on the parents. I'm just saying some parent. I'm not a perfect parent, but some parenting skills are missing in action. But Jonah does what God asked him to do. 
And the people now have responded saying, they believe, they've repented, they've turned from the wicked ways. And Jonah's angry. In fact, the word, he's very displeased. Jonah is displeased, exceedingly angry, because he doesn't like the Ninevites. And then we hear the secret. We hear the real reason why Jonah ran in the first place. I just knew, you can hear Jonah's voice, kind of whining on him, kind of like a man with a cold. You know, that, that, I just knew, I just knew that you are a gracious God and you're merciful and you're slow to anger and you're abounding in steadfast love and you relent from disaster. I just knew this was going to happen. I just knew that if I came and preached that they'd believe and you would show your grace and your mercy and your love. And God, I don't like those people. They're not my kind of people. They deserve to be punished. Maybe I'm saying it too strongly, but we all have that dark human nature where we go, they're not as deserving as I am. Jonah's angry, he's displeased, and he's whining about this. He's not happy at all. I was afraid that you would forgive them if they would repent and that you would relent. I, I just knew this. Oh, God, just take... This, this preacher's having a really bad day. God, just take my life. Just kill me now. It's quite a strong response from Jonah. Just take my life. Just kill me now. Jonah goes outside the city to watch just in case they get smoked. It's a weird thing, I know. But Jonah goes outside to watch just in case to see what might happen. He's watching there. It's a blistering hot day, kind of like yesterday. The humidity, the sun's beating down. He beats a, builds a bill of a booth, booth for shade. And then here comes, so God who sent the wind, the storm, and God who sent the Uber, I mean the, the fish, now God sends a plant. A plant just grows up spontaneously and provides shade for Jonah. And Jonah goes, oh, that feels a little bit better. It's my plant. My plant. It's my shade tree. And then God overnight sends a worm to eat and kills the plant. And Jonah shows up. Oh God, just let me die. Just let me die. Just, just take my life now because I lost my plant. It sounds ridiculous, but so do I sometimes. God says, the Lord says, listen, all the way through this, friends, Hear the truth of the fact that through all of this, the Lord is present and the Lord is speaking. I don't care how far you may think you are away from God right now, he is still speaking to you. You pity the plant, Jonah, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night, and you pity the plant. And then hear God's voice. And should not I pity Nineveh and the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The 
Jonah is a story where a Jewish prophet goes to blow the whistle on a heathen nation. But at the end of the day, the book of Jonah is in the Jewish book because it's a blowing whistle to the group of people called Israel saying, guess what, guys? God's love's not just for you, it's for everybody. So we need to move. I'm in the red zone. It's okay, I want, to be, I want to grow up to be like Pastor Jonathan. I hear, hear he's in the red zone often, so I take great courage in that. So, a few takeaways. Uh, number one, comebacks are needed by the best of us, by the rest of us. Whether you're a sailor or a sinner or a saint, comebacks are needed by the best of us. See, sometimes... I gave my heart to Jesus the first time when I was eight years of age. Now, because I'm Pentecostal, we believe in the revolving door of salvation. I came back to the Lord many times, but it started at eight years of age. My dad was a preacher, my best and favorite pastor. Sometimes when you grow up in the church all your life, you kind of forget that you didn't deserve to be there. So comebacks are needed by the best of us. Whether you're a sailor, sinner, or a saint, it's needed by those who deserve it and those who don't deserve it because the truth is none of us deserve it. That's why it's called grace. Um, comebacks are needed because somewhere along the line we think we know better. At some point in time, we, we go off on our own because we have a different idea. Jonah goes off because he just knows what God's going to do. I'm going to bypass God's plan. And Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Comebacks are not about us, but totally dependent upon the grace, mercy, and goodness of God. I fly home tomorrow, I flew in a month ago, Monday, June the 10th, or as you know it, game five. I uh, flew in, got a car, went to see my son, had supper, uh, picked up his wife. We, we watched the first half of game five on his iPad mini, the large screen. Um, and the Raptors are just behind. They're behind, they're behind, they're behind. And then I finally leave and start driving out to our cottage by Coburg, and I'm listening to the game on the radio, and they're behind. But then things start to change. Now, they did lose that game by one stinking point. But as I'm listening to the game, and listening to the commentator, and, and there's some energy happening, he's talking about that former Raptor player, Kawhi Leonard, too soon. Too soon. But the commentator, he was saying, he said this phrase at least twice, maybe three times. I don't want to lie. I'm just a preacher. We just tell illustrations. Um, I don't exaggerate, but at least three times says, man, Leonard, he, he's taking the team on his back. Kawhi's taking the, He's leading them to the promised land. He's, he's taking the team. Listen, in this whole comeback series, there's only one hero, and it's God. Comeback's not because of what we do. It's because of what God's done. Oh, a little McKnightism that my students don't like hearing over and over and over. But listen, the very best you and I can ever do is in response to what God's already done. He's the hero of the comeback. 
Our part is number four. Comebacks teach us to seek after, to cry out to, and to turn back to God. And here's my sermon in a sentence. The secret to a comeback is simply come back. The secret to a comeback is simply come back. We sang it already, we're gonna sing it again. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. The Father's arms are open wide. You could be in the room, you could be watching online, and you maybe through your own decisions, you've wandered, you've drifted away, you've kind of done your own thing. And sometimes we've drifted far enough that we think we've gone too far. We're beyond hope. You need to hear today, because the story about Jonah is the story of God who is merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love, and his arms are open wide. So simply come back. Don't listen to the lie that says it's too late, you've, you've gone too far, you've been too bad. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I'm sorry, it's not true. The secret to a comeback is simply to come back. That's part. So if you're here today, if you're listening today, Father God says, I love you and I want you to come back to me. But there's a second application for all of us. For those of us who know God's love, who know the message, we have to be reminded time and time again that the message, it's not just for us who are inside the house. It's for those who haven't come into the house yet. Somehow I hear Lord's voice this morning. I love the fact that, that One Church TO is about knowing God. I love that. I love that you're committed to loving others. Loving the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole being, and then love others as yourself. I love that. But would the Spirit of God remind us today would the Spirit of God say, and should I not pity Toronto, that great city in which there are more than 2.8 billion persons who do not know their right from their left? And some animals too. If we're not careful, church, sometimes we make it all about us. God loves me. Yes, he does. But God loves them. Sometimes our human nature, we do this us-them thing, right? Us, we're in, they're out. And to be honest, to be honest, sometimes the things that them do, I don't like. I find them offensive to God and to all that I believe in to be true and pure. And I, it bothers me. But if, I, if I'm not careful, I can forget that the grace and mercy that I receive from God is just as real for them as it is for me. And so as a church, you're not just knowing God and loving others. You want to impact your city. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God, I pray for those in the room, online, 
because of their own choices, because of even circumstances, they've, they've gone the opposite direction. They've walked away and wandered from your love. I pray, Spirit of God, I've been praying for weeks now, and this morning, even as we sang that song, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would let people understand just how wide the Father's arms are wide open for them. I pray, God, that they would sense your love and your spirit drawing them back to you. Lord, for some who have never, they've never crossed the faith line once. They've been exploring, they've been coming, exploring, asking questions. May they feel the love of Father God saying, I've got you. Come back to me. Come back to me. And Spirit of God, I pray that you would use this group of faith people, this group of people who've embraced your grace, would you use them and others across our city, across our province, country, and world? May we realize it's not just about us, it's for everybody. And so God, may we tell the good news to all those who are here. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.